Good morning. You hear me okay? No. Is it working? There we go. All right. Uh, welcome this morning. Um, my name is Dan Barber. I'm a ruling elder here um, at Fountain Square and uh, many new faces this morning. So I want to say welcome. Um, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a, of a hard morning uh, to come as you heard from the prayers. Uh, a lot of us have experienced loss um, in Kelly this last week and even before that two weeks ago uh, many of us knew the Warwicks at our sister church, Redeemer, who planted us. Um, his 18-year-old son, Zach, died tragically. And so um, it's been a really heavy week for a lot of us. And I'm so thankful that we are coming to this passage in Scripture. Um, it's just so, it's so appropriate for where we are as a church right now. So as we go to Scripture, let's pray. Father, we do, we do come with our hearts wide open this morning. Spirit, would you do that work that you have promised to do so well, to take from your wisdom and your knowledge and your truth, your love, your compassion, and would you implant it in our souls? Because your word is the power of, to change our hearts, to make us more after the image of your Son. Will the word be preached to that end for all of us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lay down your sweet and weary head. The night is falling. You have come to journey's end. Sleep now and dream of the ones who came before. They are calling from across the distant shore. Why do you weep? What are these tears upon your face? Soon you will see all of your fears will pass away. Safe in my arms, you're only sleeping. Don't say we've come now to the end. White shores are calling. You and I will meet again. And you'll be here in my arms, just sleeping. I've been listening to a lot of music over the last few weeks. Um, and this is a song that's ministered to me a lot. Um, hoping to make it farther in the sermon before I got emotional. <laughs> um, it's ministered a lot to me. Um, it's a song, you've actually probably seen the movie, but you may never have heard the song uh, because it doesn't play until you're, you're well into the credits. It's from Lord of the Rings, um, the third movie. Uh, and it was written and sung by Annie Lennox. And she is trying to capture the description that Tolkien uh, gives of the, of the afterlife, which in Lord of the Rings is called the Grey Havens. And, of course, Tolkien is bringing scriptural imagery and language into that, right? Even the language of sleep, uh, which is a metaphor used in scripture we'll actually talk about in a few weeks. 
Um, and I just love that picture of Kelly and Zach being in the arms of Jesus. Um, but it's not to say that death isn't a real thing, right? So don't think about when we think about you're only sleeping sometimes, the idea is that we just minimize what death does. It's not, it is real, it is horrible, it is tragic. We'll talk about that some today. But the reason that the authors use sleep is because it's not final. It's not the end. It doesn't get the last word. And we've been through a lot in these last couple of weeks. And Paul's been through a lot in this section. We've talked about it, you know, kind of week after week. This is the context of what Paul's been going through in Thessalonica. If you didn't hear um, about what's going on in Thessalonica, you can go back and listen to the first week where we talk about this. And Paul's friends, his brothers and sisters, who we looked at in chapter two, who he says, you were the dearly beloved ones. We were pleased not only to share with you the gospel, right? But our very lives, we shared our lives together. And then as soon as that happened, we were torn away, right? Which he says right at the beginning of our passage today. Paul is in distress. Um, and he's got a lot of emotion in this passage. And it's just so fitting that we're talking about it this morning. And so we have a couple of things um, he's going to say. The first thing he tells the Thessalonians, which again applies to us, is in this world, you will have distress. You will have trouble. You should expect it. Should, we should expect things like this because we live in a world that's filled with brokenness and sin. But second to that is that this is not the end. In the end, our distress and our sorrow will be turned to joy. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, take a look with me at chapter 3, and we're going to kind of be all over um, in the passage. There's a lot of repetition, and... Um, I know this is the, like the longest passage we've looked at in a while, and that's because we've covered a lot of different pieces as we've talked through, because um, he's just kind of reminding us of what the situation is. So as we move along through it, we'll, I'll just tell you what verses we're looking at as we go. So look at chapter 3 and verse 2. Paul writes, We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that none of you be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Paul's, if you remember a little bit about Paul's journey here to the Thessalonians, right? He's on his second missionary journey and Thessalonica was the first place he had any kind of real ministry success. And as soon as that success started, he was driven out of town. Paul's speaking about this, this opposition that he expected, and he's telling the Thessalonians 
this isn't abnormal. This is what's going to happen. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus actually says that, right? In John 16, 33. And remember, Paul spent time, three years, in fact, learning directly from Jesus before he went into ministry. And you can read about that in Galatians 2 if you want to. And so not only Paul's experience tell him that in this world you will have trouble, but also the ministry of Jesus has told him that in this world you will have trouble. Right? It's Guys, we all know it. We all live it. We're living it right now. We understand that. Sometimes that trouble is like what it is in, in the church in Thessalonica. It's external to us. Right? It's because of the sin and opposition of the world. In fact, in verse um, 18, he says, We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Right? So that not only is, is the opposition at times a, uh, a result of just the brokenness and the sin in the world, but it has a spiritual component to it, right? That there are really forces, real evil, that seeks to do damage to God's people. That really is working against us. That's a reality. Sometimes I think that I'm so used to that reality that I forget that it's not the way it's supposed to be. I forget that in the garden, before Satan came, there was no deception. There was no opposition. There was no internal struggle of the soul, right? None of that was there. And when I think about the new heavens and the new earth, one of the things I think about is all of that stuff being finally gone. How different will life be when that happens? Right, but I'm just, I'm so used to it. I just take it for granted uh, that, yeah, this is the way we live. It, it is true, but it, I just want to impress, especially upon us this morning, that even though it is normative in our experience, right, it's not the way things are supposed to be. And you heard Pat say this at the funeral time and time again, like we are so used to this and we, and we, we beautify everything, but the truth is it's terrible and it's ugly and it shouldn't be this way. Right? And Paul kind of recognizes that when he talks about his distress. So just even though we know it, like even though we know that reality, we shouldn't miss the fact that it still is real and it's still painful and, and appropriately so, right? All sin, all evil should be real and painful because it is. And so I think, I feel like, you know, sometimes we get this deterministic view, right? We say, you know, Romans eight twenty eight, right? All things work together for good for God who loves us, right? And who called us according to his purpose. And we get this this response, and maybe somebody has said this to you at the time, well, God's in control, right? That's, that is true. God is in control. 
But that doesn't change the fact that pain and trouble and opposition is real and it really hurts. Look at what Paul says time and time again throughout this section in verse 17. He says, since we were torn away from you, brothers, right, uh, in person but not in heart, he says later on in verse 1 of chapter 3, we could bear it no longer. We were willing to be left alone in Athens. So even though Paul is in mortal danger himself, he was willing to be left alone to face that danger alone because of how, hard, how much his heart hurt for the Thessalonians. He says the same thing in verse 5. When we could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. Right? And then even in verse 7, he talks about the distress and affliction that he was feeling because of him. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians 11, where he says, Beyond all the things I suffered, I had the daily worry and anxiety for all of the churches. Right? For all of my friends and my brothers and my sisters who were losing jobs and homes and livelihoods and even their own lives because of the persecution and the opposition that they're facing. Right? Paul is greatly distressed by that even though he knows that's not the end. And that's reflective of how we should be working to kind of process what we're working through right now. So I want to take a second and just think about um, a story from the Gospels. And you guys probably know this story. It's the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead in John 11. If you want to have something to talk about um, over lunch or dinner today, Go read John 11. It's, it's, a, it's just a really um, important read for where we're at right now. In John 11, um, Jesus is preaching elsewhere, and he gets a message that his friend Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is a brother of Mary and Martha, who live in Bethany, and uh, their whole family is disciples of Jesus, right? Jesus has often stayed with them. They followed him around. Um, Jesus will stay with them in his final days before he goes to the cross. Um, and Jesus gets the message. And in uh, verse 4 of chapter 11, he tells the disciples, this sickness will not end in death. Okay? So he tells them ahead of time, Lazarus is not going to die ultimately. Okay? So think about that for a second. Later on, you get down into the chapter, and in verses 33 and 38, it says that Jesus was deeply troubled in his spirit. And it's a word not used very much, but it just, you know, it just talks about just this great angst of the soul that he experienced when he saw first Martha and then Mary at the tomb, and how overcome they were at the loss of their brother. And then in verse 35, the two words, Jesus wept. Do you understand that? That the Son of God, who knew that day he would raise his friend from the dead in the moment, was still overcome by his grief was moved by compassion, 
because what we experience in the brokenness and the trouble of the world is real, it is painful, it is not the way it is supposed to be, and the proper response of God's people is to cry out and weep and lament, because it is so terrible. Even that word, torn away, is the only time it's used in the New Testament. And Paul, it, it literally means, a word that Paul makes up, it means that he was orphaned. He was ripped away from the people that he loves in the same way Kelly and Zach were ripped away from us. In the same way all of us who have lost friends and family have been ripped away from us. It's a terrible, terrible evil. And the proper way that Jesus shows us in the moment to deal with that is to weep and to sit in that, even with the knowledge that the resurrection is coming. In this world, you will have trouble. I didn't finish the verse, though, when I quoted it. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And Paul's going to remind us that that is not the end of the story. In fact, he comes in verse 10 of chapter 3 and he says, As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And think about that for a second. We've talked about this time and time again, how one of the themes of Thessalonians is the Thessalonians already know what they need to know. Right? Eleven times in the book he says, you already know. You already know. But here he's like, but you need to know something else. What, what, exact, what, what's going on? What does this mean? You need to have something supplied to your faith. And I think what he's getting at here is the fact that when times of distress and trouble and opposition and, and pain come into our lives, we need each other to remind ourselves of what is true about God's word. What is true about who God is? Because it's easy to take our eyes off of that. So when he says, I wanna come and supply what is missing in your faith, he doesn't necessarily mean, I wanna give you new content, though he certainly does give them a couple of things they don't know. He really means, I wanna be with you. I wanna have that faithful presence where we can, we can weep together and remind each other of the promises that God has given us, which are sufficient. That's what he's saying. I want to do that. I want to do that with you. He wants to remind them of the truths that he's already probably told them about. What truth does he remind them of specifically here? Um, look at verses uh, 19 and 20 of chapter 2. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. And at the end of chapter 3, again, he says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. And here's the promise, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. In college, I had a friend um, that uh, was raised Catholic. She had become 
what we would call agnostic, meaning she, she doesn't believe in, in God or in, in that sense, right, in the sense that we do. And as I was talking with her about it uh, one day, she asked me the question, she's like, why would you want to go to heaven? And I was kind of like, well, that's a weird question. Like, why wouldn't you want to go to heaven, right? Like, she said, it's just a lot of singing. It's like an endless church service. It sounds terrible to me. Like, why would you want to do that? And over the years, it's kind of struck me as I've taught, and you guys know I've done a lot of different study on this, but how many of us kind of suffer a little bit from, because of, I think, the relative ease of our lives, we suffer a little bit from not thinking deeply about the promises that Jesus gives us about the new heavens and the new earth. Now, to be sure, he doesn't tell us a lot, right? There are a lot of questions that we have that we don't have the answers to. But he tells us more than all you need to know is you're going to heaven. So think about that for a second, right? Like Romans 15, 4 says... Everything written in the scriptures was written for your encouragement that through endurance and perseverance, you might have hope, right? Or 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, where he says, by his grace, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises, everything we need for life and godliness, right? To process what we are feeling right now, we don't just need to know Right? That, that we're going to heaven. We need, we need more information than that because he's given us more information than that. There's more comfort that he has provided in his scripture. And that's something that's of benefit to us. And Paul reminds the Thessalonians when they're in the same situation, that they personally they are part of his eternal joy when Jesus comes again. You understand that? And when we see Kelly, when we see Zach see people like my sister, the people that are closest to you, that they have a piece of the everlasting joy that you will experience in Jesus Christ forever. Friends, that is the comfort that surpasses understanding. That is the way Jesus overcomes death. It almost sounds too good to be true. But it's like Paul repeats it again that, that Jesus will come back and he says explicitly he will come back with all of his saints. Why does he tell them that? Because he wants them to know that this is not the end. You are coming back. Jesus is coming back. And it's not just about Jesus coming back. He's coming back with his people. 
He's coming back for us and we're all going to be together. So we will always be with the Lord. That each of us has a component, not only in God's joy, but in the joy that each of us experiences. It's a fantastic truth that really hits my heart this morning. And I hope it does yours as well. There's, uh, I mentioned the beginning a song, and um, I've been listening to a lot of music. I don't know what it is about music for me. Maybe it's the same way for you, but it has this way of hitting my heart in a way that simple, like, propositional statements just don't, right? Um, and so I've been listening to a lot of music. Um, there's a... A hymn, it was originally known, well, I shouldn't say originally known, it was popularly known at first as a, something called the Libby Prison Hymn. Um, Libby Prison was a Confederate prison, and um, it was a place that had a really, really high death rate during the Civil War. And a Union soldier was in prison there, and he inscribed the words of the song, and that's kind of how it became known as the, the Libby Prison Hymn. But it actually is an old African-American spiritual um, that was sung by our African-American brothers and sisters in the midst of slavery. Both people, right, in tremendous distress, tremendous opposition, thinking deeply about what it means to have the promise of joy, the promise of being reunited together, the promise of participating in the life of Christ and the new creation. And I want to leave you with these words. Um, the song is called Poor Wayfaring Stranger. Um, the, the version, there have been many versions of it. The version that I really like is by Sister Church, Red Mountain Church in Birmingham. Um, you can find it on Spotify or YouTube. I am a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this world of woe but there's no sickness, toil, or danger in that bright land to which I go. I'm going there to meet my mother. Said she'll meet me when I come. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. I know dark clouds will gather round me. I know my way will be rough and steep. But beautiful fields lie just before me where God's redeemed their vigil keep. I'm going there to meet my loved ones, gone on before me one by one. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. I'll soon be free of earthly trials. My body rests in the old churchyard. I'll drop this cross of self-denial. I'll go singing home to God. I'm going there to meet my Savior, dwell with Him, and never roam. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to remember your precious promises to us through Jesus. 
We pray comfort. Comfort my people with these words. We pray, Father, that you teach us to hold on to your promises, which are an anchor of the soul, that reach into your very presence in heaven itself, where Jesus himself intercedes for us. His prayers are powerful. His prayers are mighty to save. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.